Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorla. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Last week, we had a discussion on how to live the Christian life in a digital world. And we're continuing that discussion this week with a very special guest, Jason Thacker. Jason serves as Chair of Research and Technology Ethics at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, where he also leads the ERLC Research Institute. In addition to his responsibilities at the ERLC, Jason teaches at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. He's written several books, including his most recent book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, which we'll be discussing a little today. Jason, brother, thank you so much for writing this book. It's definitely a much-needed word today. And thanks for taking some time to join the discussion. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. So let's maybe start the discussion by having you share a little bit about the book. Why did you Why did you write it, and what do you hope to communicate? Yeah, so it kind of starts a little bit of my story. So it's probably about seven or eight years ago. Um, I was reading a book. So I, I came a believer when I was 18. I went on to seminary feeling called into the ministry, called into the church specifically. I love the local church. And when I was um, here at the ERLC, I noticed that there were a lot of questions about technology. What is technology? How is it forming and shaping us? What does the future look like with technology? And I was reading some non-Christian books about it and realizing, like, I don't totally agree with some of the conclusions they're coming to or the trajectory that they that they think we're on. And so I started just doing a little writing on it, just kind of engaging some of these ideas. And the more I did that, the more I read, the more I read, the more I wrote. And it kind of snowballed into this question of, one of the big questions I think for the church today is how do we navigate the digital society we live in? What is technology? How is it forming and shaping us? And I think for some people, when they hear that kind of language, even discipleship, which is the language I use in the book about how technology is discipling us, it can strike it. It kind of catches us off guard a little bit. It seems like, oh, it's just my phone or it's just social media. But one of the things I argue in the book is that I think technology has become one of the primary disciplers of our people. Uh, from a pastoral perspective, uh, as we look at over the church, technology is something that is deeply shaping and forming us. And you can just see this in the fact that probably whether you're listening to this on your phone, your device, or on the computer, or even us as we're sitting here recording this, your phone is probably about a foot from you right mm-hmm. now. It always is. We feel this kind of like weird uneasiness and anxiety when we don't know where our phone is. That's a common conversation in my household is, hey, do you know where I put my phone? And so much so that we even have wearable devices now so that we never truly have to disconnect. And I think this is having a deeply kind of formative uh way of kind of shaping and forming us that often goes unexamined because we just assume technology is just merely a tool that we use. But one of the things I try to do in the book is say, yes, it is a tool that we use, but what if it's actually using us? What if it's actually forming and shaping us in particular ways that may be even contrary to our faith? So while I don't want to say that technology is all negative or it's all bad or it's evil or anything like that, I think we have to step back and ask some of the larger questions of what is technology? It's not good. It's not all good with some bad uses. It's not just bad with some good uses, but nor is it really neutral. 
because these technologies have a design and a purpose. They have values. They're trying to get us to use them in particular ways. And I think it's high time for Christians to step back, ask some of those big questions about how technology is forming and shaping us so that we might seek to follow Christ with wisdom and navigate a lot of the big pressing challenges before us, not only as a society, but in particular, even the church. Obviously, you've got, if I could, if I could, for sake of argument, talk about a couple polls. Uh, on one side, you have, say, the Amish, uh, where, you know, there's kind of a, a complete uh, rejection, if you will, of modern technology, um, yeah. you know, and obviously that's been for, for, uh, for years now. And then you have on the other side, say, just in terms of churches and Christians, uh, we have virtual churches, we have online churches, we have, you know, kind of a, a full-fledged embrace of the technology uh, and the use of technology, even to the point that it's 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 shaping the way we understand church as, as you know, as it is. Um, where do you think this is going? I, I'm guessing you're not saying that we should all, you know, go, you know, sell our cars and get horses and buggies and, and <laughs> you you know, and, and churn butter um, and things like that. But where where is this taking us? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, let's say if we just pull out all the stops and 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 let it you know let it kind of go you know to the uh, to its ultimate end. Where where would this take us? And how should we respond to uh, to these types of things? How should we respond to uh, you know these technological advancements and and so on? Uh, that that are coming in uh, much more rapid pace uh, as time goes by. Yeah, there are really two questions there. One is more philosophical in nature, and then one is a little bit more ethical about what should we do. I want I address the first one is to say one of the things that I think is really important in these debates is often with technology we want to rush towards solutions. We want to have that checklist. We want to have five steps to kind of write your relationship with technology, and a lot of those things can be good. We need to have those conversations, but I think one of the things that we as Christians need to do is to think critically and to think biblically about yeah. the nature of technology is to know that technology is a good gift from God. Mm-hmm. I mean, God created us in his image. He gave us these creative abilities to make things, uh, to reflect our God as we make things, to utilize these tools, to make our lives more convenient and easy, um, and to allow us to do things that are just absolutely incredible. I mean, even this podcast itself is a testament to God's grace, sure. not only for the seminary, but also for the ability even just to have a conversation like this and to share it with pastors and ministry leaders all across the nation. So we can't say that technology is all bad. And I think that's kind of one approach that you can take to technology is kind of a dystopian view, Mm -hmm. a fearful view, um, a view that's not, there's not a lot of hope. I mean, you just kind of see all the negatives. And I think we have to be honest, there are a lot of negatives. But at the same time, there's also a lot of positives to technology. There's a lot of benefits. I mean, even thinking about some of the most revolutionary pieces of technology in history actually aren't your smartphone or your computer. It's the printing press. Absolutely. That revolutionized and changed the entire landscape of Western civilization. It changed everything. For good and for bad. Mm-hmm. Not only did we see the word of God being translated and uh, theological and ethical and philosophical resources spread all across the world, but at the same time, we saw a lot of misinformation. We saw right. uh, a lot of dissension. We saw a lot of um, even some will argue, and I argue in a, a previous book about how even the printing press allowed for and kind of was the trajectory in some sense of the spread of pornography. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is, is that tools aren't neutral. 
but they're also not just good or bad. And so as a Christian, while I'm very much a technology optimist, like I think I also know, I know the end of the story, I always say, um, in terms of Christianity is we know that Jesus is Lord. We know that he's sitting on the throne. So nothing's ultimately going to thwart his plan or the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Nevertheless, we do have some big challenges before us. So taking a very realistic view of what is technology, how is it forming and shaping us? And one of the things I try to do in the book is say, I think there are three primary ways that technology is shaping us. There's a host of other ways, but three, I think, are in terms of how we understand the nature of truth. Also, how we understand the nature of responsibility today, especially in a curated age. And then lastly, how we think about our identity, not only as individuals, but also even the church itself in an increasingly polarized age. So I try to take this idea that technology is forming and shaping us. It always reminds me of Romans 12 too. Paul is saying, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mm -hmm. Paul there is reminding us and showing us very clearly that you are being conformed. He's not, he's assuming you are. He's saying, do not be conformed. He's not saying if you're conformed, he's saying, no, you are, you are being formed. You are being conformed to the image of this world, but you need to be, have your mind renewed and be transformed by the renewal of the spirit. Given that reality, how do we apply that type of paradigm or that type of understanding to the digital age, knowing that we are being shaped by technology? Mm -hmm. It's altering our view of God. It's altering our view of ourselves as image bearers, and it's altering our view of community, but even kind of the world around us about how, what's our role in this world? What's our calling? And so as Christians, I think, what do we do about it? We apply the biblical ethical principle, the summation of the law and prophets. And from Jesus himself, he says in Matthew 22, we're to love the Lord our God with of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves. How do we take that ethical command, that call for the Christian life, and apply it to the digital challenges before us? Uh, because while we have a lot of unique challenges, I think, today in the digital age, uh, a lot of the core questions and a lot of the core temptations that we face and a lot of the core issues, I don't actually think are that new, per se. Right. It's that we're having, we're addressing these age-old questions that we've always dealt with as a society in light of new opportunity. We can do things at scale. We can reach more people. But at the core of it are a lot of the same tendencies, sins, vices, and rebellions that we've always dealt with. And so in that place, I think we can have a hopeful yet realistic understanding of what technology is. And then how do we go about uh, navigating a lot of these challenges is putting forth that kind of ethical principle of loving God and loving our neighbors ourselves. Hmm. I want to want to drill down a little bit more uh, in terms of uh, ecclesiology and how mm -hmm. technology has affected ecclesiology. Obviously, you mentioned the printing press and how the printing press uh, has has had a, a massive effect on our world. Well, it had a massive effect on the church also. Obviously, right. yeah. uh, one of the things that 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 I love uh, arguing is that the uh, Protestant Reformation didn't begin with Martin Luther, it began with the printing press. The technology really jump-started the possibility of a Reformation because yeah. now the Bible is in the hands of the people and they can read for themselves what God has said uh, and what he hasn't said uh, in terms of the excesses and, and, and uh, issues and so on going on in the Catholic Church at the time. Uh, well, we've got a lot of technological advances right now. We've got smartphones. We've got uh, streaming, live streaming, and 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 all of these different uh, technological um, evolutions. I guess you could say around us. Um, are these 
good for the church, uh, you know, uh, just just in terms of thinking ecclesiolo- ecclesiologically. Uh, just think, even the last couple of years uh, with 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 pandemic and 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 all these all these things, and we move everything to live stream. Uh, well, we also now have virtual baptisms and virtual Lord's Supper and virtual, you know, all of these different things. Um, now that it seems that a lot of the um, uh, the reasons for live streaming have kind of subsided um, in terms of the medical emergencies and so on. Uh, we see now a, kind of an eth- uh, an ethical dilemma. Do we continue on with this now that we've yeah. you know now that we've opened up Pandora's box, if you will? Do we do we keep it open, or do we go back you know to the way things are? So how how do we work with that with the technology? Yeah. Is it is it a good thing for us to adopt these these changes and kind of go with the times, or or should you know kind of piggybacking on what you said before? Should we uh, perhaps have a little bit more pause? Yeah. I think that's a really wise question. And there's not just kind of a one one size fits all answer here. Obviously, these are really complex and complicated issues uh, that we need to think really deeply about. And I hope to do that. And throughout my work, whether it's this book or other works, is to help the church and equip the church to think really biblically about the digital age that we folk, uh, that we live in, a lot of the technologies that are shaping and forming us. Um, I think there are kind of two big things that I would want to say. First, I'd want to say that I don't think that it's inherently good nor do I think these challenges are these opportunities are inherently bad. I think we need to be re- we need to be realistic and understanding that technology is not just good or bad, but it's also not neutral. It is forming and shaping us. And one of the ways that it's doing that is often we think that these technologies are just tools we use, but reality is there are certain values, there are certain designs. Um, you can even see this in terms of social media with like Twitter and Facebook and others to say what's happening or what's on your mind now. It's prompting you to post. So it's encouraging you, whether it's pulling on your emotions or pulling on various aspects of community and relationships to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's wanting you to do that. So when we adopt or utilize various technologies within the church, especially the gathered church, we need to be very, very careful about kind of examining these tools, about the ways that they're encouraging us to use them and maybe what tendencies. And so there, again, there's not a one size fits all. I wouldn't say that all churches should abandon this or do this as kind of these heavy handed kind of ethical commandments in some sense, because I do think it's about cultivating wisdom, which is really the focus of my book is how do we cultivate wisdom? What is wisdom? It's not just having the right beliefs, but also pairing those with the right actions. So taking these big truths of God and then living them out in terms of theology and ethics and that paradigm, that relationship, which I really think encapsulates the wisdom tradition. I think one of the things, especially a lot of the things you mentioned, whether it was virtual gatherings or live kind of uh, live streaming, all these kind of digital apps and technologies and tools, is that we have to we have to keep that paradigm of loving God and loving our neighbor. That's central uh, for the entire thing that we're doing here. So we can use these technologies to reach more people. One of the things, the temptations, though, in the digital age is that we often will kind of dumb down our faith and dumb yeah. down our, our yeah. the gathered church, even to say that it's all, well, it's really about information transfer. That's really what it's about. So preaching, teaching, all of these things is communicating information to people, which can become a very individualized experience. And so if we start to treat the Sunday morning gathering, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever the church gathers as just a mere information transfer, I mean, in some ways, that's what technology does. It's transferring information. It's allowing access to more information. So it becomes a very individualized experience. 
Well, the Bible has a very different vision for what the church is. It's not a place of information transfer. While that is good, it's a place of communal transformation. Mm. And it's something that happens embodied. And so I don't, I don't make a lot of friends when I say this, because I think there are a lot of ways that you can utilize live streaming technologies, et cetera, for the good and to reach people missionally, right. to reach out to people, to connect with people, to bring them in. But the goal is not just information transfer. It's not just broadcasting a message. It's actually seeing that transformation take place in which we as embodied beings do that as an embodied church. Mm. We are the, the body of Christ gathering together and there's something unique. And I think most of us, especially during the pandemic, recognize this. We longed to be with one another. Yeah. Uh, we missed that. It wasn't just about that information transfer. It was about that gathering together, bearing one another's burdens, caring for one another, being with one another physically. So while I think there are a lot of missiological applications and good uses of technology, I don't want those to be a substitute for the gathered embodied nature of the church. So again, I don't think that I want to say heavy handed, you can't use, you know, ethically, you can't use live streaming or those type of services. I think you can, they can be good missional opportunities uh, to invite people in, but that's never the goal. Yeah. The goal is always gathering together as the local body of Christ, not just to hear more information, but to actually see that life transformation take place. So I think we can utilize technologies missiologically for good. But again, they're not going to be substitutes for what we're ultimately not only called to, but actually created for. We're made to be in relationship, embodied relationship with one another. I think that's really important and something we really have to keep key is not only the missiological benefits of technology, but some of those embodiment challenges that we're going to face. Yeah, that's a good word. And going to your 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 previous point about just knowing the tendencies that you have with this technology uh, to know the dangers, you would never buy a lawnmower without knowing how to use the lawnmower, right? Like you yeah. want to know uh, what is the maintenance with this? How do I use this? Are there anything that could any things that could hurt hurt me as I'm using it? What are the dangers of it? How do I upkeep it? And it seems so often with technology, we go in so blindly without ever considering what what is this going to bring out in me. Uh, how is this going to form me? How is this going to shape me? How how can I use this? How is it using me? And your book does a fantastic job of of providing wisdom for people uh, as they use these forms of technology, including explaining what algorithms are, and that some of these things are designed to keep you engaged and enraged at times. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful point, especially as we talk about um, kind of the way that truth is often manipulated in the digital age, about how we're formed to understand and see the world in a very particular way. I think often we just don't realize the things that we see online are actually curated or personalized for us. We have different online experiences. Even my wife and I have different social media experiences when we utilize these apps. And a lot of that comes down to algorithms. A lot of that comes down to this curation. Um, and so making sure that we're stepping back and adopting things and being critical about when we adopt things instead of uncritically just kind of uh, openly adopting any type of technology or tool. I think we need to be very critical, but not just critical in the sense of negative, but just to be wise yeah. and seek that wisdom, which is really a thrust of the entire biblical narrative, mm -hmm. but in particular, the book of Proverbs, Psalms, and even the book of James, which is always funny to me when you go back and read these books. I genuinely, I've been working through the book of Proverbs recently, and every time I come across a new proverb, I'm like, man, was this written for today, like right now in terms of social media so or James 119 to be slow to speak, slow to anger and quick to listen? 
that sounds a lot like a lot of the challenges we face in ministry, but in particularly online. Right. And it's just striking to me the word of God and how it applies to every situation, uh, regardless of the Bible quote, you know, references technology per se. The Bible is actually giving us these ethical principles, these life principles to navigate all of the challenges before us, no matter what they are. Mm. So we asked this question last week, so we're talking to pastors and church leaders here, and I'd love to get your response. Uh, do you think pastoring is easier today in this digital age, or is it harder? Why or why not? I think it's a little of both. Um, I don't want to say that it's easy because it's not. There are some very unique challenges to our age um, in terms of technology, the digital society, but even just a lot of the cultural and social pressures and challenges we face. We have some real challenges before us. And so in some ways, I want to say that it's more difficult. And the reason I want to say that is because I think that there are some not only unique challenges, but there's this expectation on pastors. And I think most pastors will be nodding along when they when they hear this is to be omnicompetent. Mm. That you have to have an opinion on every single thing that happens when it happens. Especially in the this, social media space. Yeah, in the social media space where it's whether the temptation to build a platform to identify with the right type of people and be on the right side of history per se, or just feeling like you're always having to kind of address every political, social, and ethical cause and issue before you to have a formed opinion. Social media doesn't reward wisdom. It rewards kind of spontaneity. It rewards kind of just speaking off the hip and tweeting something the moment it happens or mm -hmm. to kind of jump on board and kind of pile on somebody or something or an idea, or et cetera. A lot of times wisdom and being slow to act and slow to anger is actually not rewarded today. And I think pastors face a unique challenge. It's not just that we uh, preach the word of God, that we're just loving and caring for the body of Christ, but we're also having to address a host of other challenges before us, whether it's socially or ethically or even technologically. We just have a lot of uh, a lot of pressure, I think, on pastors to be omnicompetent, not only to be trained epidemiologists during a pandemic, to go on to be foreign policy experts, to go on to be uh, kind of political operatives and know exactly what's going on and how telling people and kind of encouraging people to vote or uh, kind of interact with our political officials in particular ways. So in some sense, I think it's more challenging, but I think that's kind of, it can be a myopic view where we think, well, all the challenges we face today are just so unique yeah. and it's, it's just such difficult. So I want to say, you know, if I go back 50 years, pastors are saying, look, I have other challenges before me. Um, this, so it's not in some sense, that our challenges are better or worse or more difficult than others. I think that it's just the context in which we live. Um, in some senses, there wasn't a golden age of ministry. There never was. There isn't this nostalgia. <laughs> if we go back 50 years, everything was great because it, it actually wasn't. It was actually pretty difficult, uh, whether you're dealing with a world war, or you're dealing with issues of civil rights and riots and questions of war. And uh, you have all of these kind of rumors of war. You have all of these kind of issues that are before you. There wasn't a golden age of ministry. And I think a temptation is, is we just need to you know, put aside these technologies and get back to certain, that time. And I don't think that's the way that God calls us to navigate a lot of the challenges before us. One, he's equipped you, pastor, to navigate the challenges before you. He not only knows you, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the issues better than you know them. But His, the word of God is sufficient for the day. It's sufficient for the challenges we face. Um, and God's word speaks to all of those things. And so while I want to say 
it's it's unique. I don't want to say that it's harder or better or worse than it yeah. used to be yeah. in some sense, because God is faithful. He's good. His word is sufficient. And it it guides us as we seek to love him and love our neighbors ourselves. That is really the golden rule. Um, that's the the great commandment that com- that ties into the great commission. And that's the mandate that God has always given his people. And he's um, not only equipping us to navigate a lot of the challenges before us, but he's doing so um, right beside us. He's always with us. We don't have to do these things alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just thinking of a, a congregation on a given week, you know, having a uh, some parents that are in the congregation that are struggling with helping their teen navigate the pressures of social media and, yeah. and dealing with the effects that has on their mental health. Thinking of uh, the church member who's struggling with pornography that is now more accessible than ever. Uh, always, always there. The temptation's always there. Thinking of, you know, the couple that's marriage is struggling because a spouse is is not paying attention and is distracted by their devices. Like these are all unique challenges, but yet going to your point, the solution is still there. God has not left us without uh, wisdom to navigate these things, even though they look a little different than they did years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And a lot of the challenges for us, whether it's how to navigate kind of these digital challenges with our teenagers, which is something I've written a book that comes out in January called A Student's Guide to Social Media, is to equip parents, to equip youth leaders, but also to equip teenagers to think wisely about technology. So while the book that Following Jesus in the Digital Age is written for all people, it's it's a pretty broad book. It's not something assuming a lot of background knowledge. It's supposed to be kind of an entry-level book. Um, I wanted to write something very particular for teenagers and for those uh, raising teenagers or counseling and ministering to teenagers to say, you know, there's mutant challenges there as well. Mm. And I think that's where the goal here is not to have a checklist or to kind of write our relationship with technology and move on. We live in, in a digital or a technological society. And our faith uh, informs and shapes how we navigate a lot of the challenges before us. And so I think that's stepping back and slowing down in an age that causes us to go faster, faster, faster. I mean, technology is made to make things more efficient and convenient. Yeah. But wisdom is not always efficient and convenient. Mm. Maturity is not always efficient and convenient. Um, the bad habits that we formed weren't formed overnight, nor a lot of the the wisdom that we need to form. They're not going to be formed over. It's not going to be formed overnight either. That's one of the beauties of Proverbs is I always look, I always look uh, when I go to the Proverbs and you see these, you know, the glory of man is like gray hair in some sense. It's talking about the idea of wisdom and maturity um, and something that's formed over a long period of time. And that's where in this age of kind of digital age, we want quick fixes to everything. But in reality, we have to form these long-term patterns and habits and virtues yeah. that are actually going to shape the rest the rest of our lives and kind of alter the trajectory we're on. And so I think that's where we need to slow down in an age of digital convenience to ask those hard questions and then to see how we seek wisdom here in our digital age. Yeah. Technology is convenient and makes things more comfortable, but the Christian life isn't always a life of comfort and exactly. convenience. Yeah, the more times I look in the mirror, that proverb has become a life verse of mine. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about the pastor himself, uh, you know, his his life, his practices, and so on. Again, things have changed. I mean, I remember when I was in seminary, 
and you know we had to learn uh, Greek paradigms, Hebrew paradigms, and so on. We had to have vocabulary words memorized, and 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 and, and all of these different things. We were remembering. Uh, we had to remember verses uh, for exams, and and remember you know um, uh, paragraphs verbatim, you know, and 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 all of these different things. Well, now a lot of that work has been replaced with logos. Uh, it's been replaced with uh, different uh, 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 technologies and so on, Bible apps and, uh, and, and all of these different things, which have done a good job of streamlining things. But as you said, technology also comes with a certain set of values and it also comes with a certain set of problems. Uh, so what advice would you give to pastors for, for navigating uh, this digital age, you know, with all of this technology that's now available for pastors to use in their work of sermon prep yeah. and their work of, uh, and even some things that are that are perhaps distractions from those things. How how do we work with uh, with this technology with wisdom uh, in our own lives as pastors? Yeah, one I think is is slowing down, and that's something I kind of hit throughout the book. And it sounds really trite, and most people are like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I just need to slow down. I, I'm kind of running at this frenetic pace. But reality is that's kind of the soul, the culture which we inhabit is everything's going faster, faster, faster. And as we've talked about wisdom and slowing down and cultivating it, you know, there are a lot of benefits to technology, especially for the pastor. I mean, whether it's logos or whether it's having, you know, a smartphone, we have more access to information in milliseconds than some pastors had in their entire ministry, mm -hmm. you know, let's say five or 600 years ago. So in some sense, we are incredibly blessed. We have access to things. We have access to books. We can connect. We can have all these helpful resources, et cetera. And so we don't want to say that technology is all bad in that sense. But again, again, the faith is not about an information transfer. The pastoral pastoral ministry isn't just communicating certain information. It's seeking that transformation by the power of the Spirit and seeing that renewal, you know, as Paul says in Romans 12 too, to see that renewal of our mind by the transformation of the Spirit, like the Spirit is coming in and doing this work. And so I think while there are a lot of benefits, I think one of the things we have to make sure we do is, again, with pastors, there's a lot of uh, challenges. There's a lot of emphasis. There's a lot of kind of expectation placed on the pastor to be omnicompetent. And one of the things I try to encourage my students and I want to encourage pastors as well is one, you're not created to be omnicompetent. You're not, that expectation is unhealthy. It, it can destroy your ministry. Um, it can destroy your church if you feel the need to always be, uh, always have the right answer. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I try to encourage my students to do is to seek humility. Uh, that's really countercultural today to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question. Right. That's a great question. Let's find out together. Or, you know, I haven't really read that story yet, so I can't tell you really what I think about it. Here are some general principles of how I think about issues like that. I think some of those things are going to be really helpful for pastors because I think most of us realize if you've done any pastoral ministry at all, you realize very quickly uh, that the, a lot of the theology and biblical studies and the languages and all that, while immensely helpful, many of the challenges and the questions you're facing are actually deeply ethical, Right. Uh, which is something I think that as seminaries, but as churches, how do we equip people to be thinking in ethical categories, talking about the nature of the Christian life is in not just having the right information, but actually putting that information into practice? Because I, I'd say throughout the book and kind of highlight the relationship between theology and ethics, theology is God speaking to us, revealing 
revealing himself to us. And our response to that, as many theologians have said, including Herman Bavink and uh, Carl Henry and others, is our response to God. That's what. So God is speaking to us as the nature of theology. Our response to God is our ethic. And so how are we talking and encouraging our people not just to have the right beliefs, but also the right actions? And so in terms of pastors, I think there's a very similar temptation to feel that we just need to have the right answers, just to have the right information, but to seek that transformation. And maybe that means you have uh, times where you slow down, where you're, you actually try to disconnect, where you actually put your phone down, or you have guarded times for your family. I mean, a lot of these things sound really trite and simple, but they can change everything about your life individually, but also the life of your church is to have that humility to say, you know what, I don't have the answer to that, or that's a really good question. Let's learn and find out together. Portraying that and modeling that type of humility, I think can go a long way to Mm -hmm. kind of uh, not only being a sustainable ministry, but more importantly, being a God glorifying one is to say, look, I'm not God. Uh, I don't have to know all the answers, but we're going to be learning these things together. Um, but I do think there's a lot of big, op- a lot of opportunity. I mean, I did, I was doing a doctoral degree during the midst of a pandemic. So I know all about digital resources. <laughs> um, I was writing term papers. I was r- working on my dissertation. Uh, so I know all about those. There's a huge benefits to that. But if technology becomes a crutch, or if it comes a stand-in for wisdom and for maturity and wisdom, I think that's where we start to get in kind of the rubber meets the road and things are pretty difficult and we need to think a little bit wisely. So slowing down to ask those hard questions and then seeking to cultivate wisdom, I think is the best path forward. But there are a lot of unique challenges before the church, especially for pastoral ministry, which is one of the reasons, and I'll say this and before we end, is there's an appendix to this book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, specifically written for you, Pastor, yeah. specifically written for ministry leaders to say, look, you have some unique challenges before you um, that you know pastors in yesteryear didn't have to deal with. And so how do we navigate that? And I offer a couple principles and kind of helping people to think, you know, not only is technology one of the primary disciples of your people, but also of you, mm-hmm. Pastor. Um, and you, ministry leader, it's actually shaping and forming you in very particular ways. So it's high time for us to slow down, ask some of those hard questions, and seek to cultivate wisdom for the digital age ahead. Yeah, that's a good word. You, you've said a, you've said a lot throughout this podcast about how we are in an age of information. Information is just kind of everywhere, and if you go onto any space, there's a lot of content. Content's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there is a temptation for pastors and churches? to build a platform and to to build a brand and to constantly produce and produce and produce, especially in spaces like social media. Do you feel like that's a temptation? I do, actually. And I think that's something that we see kind of play out, um, especially on Twitter. Um, but we're really seeing this across the board in social media. So it's not just unique to Twitter, but I think there are some unique challenges there, especially for those in ministry. I mean, Christian Twitter or Baptist Twitter is not always the most life-giving, uh, encouraging place to be. Um, it is uh, sometimes a very much of a cesspool um, of backbiting and tribalization and mischaracterizations and just not a lot of graceful engagement, nuanced engagement with one another. Um, I do think there's a big temptation. Part of that is this idea of, Feeling like I'm all, I always have to be on and I always have to be kind of guarded in the things I say. And I have to identify with the right people and I have to say the right thing and I have to retweet or reshare or post the right things. I have to address all the particular issues going on to identify and make sure people realize I'm being faithful. You got to have that 15 tweet thread. Yeah. Like there's a temptation to want to build a platform. One, 
One, because I think there can be good desires. If you want to reach more people, you want to share the hope of the gospel, you want to stand firm on these truths and you want to apply them in these biblically wise ways, ethical ways. Um, and so I think that's in some ways how it starts. I have a, a guy who works for me who said, should I get on Twitter? And I was like, if it was me, I would say no. I'm on Twitter. I like Twitter. It's actually my pro platform of preference. But I think a lot of the challenges and the temptations there to kind of build a platform to get more reach, to get more engagement, um, can distract from the real work of ministry. Um, I love, uh, Karen Swallow Pryor once said uh, that Twitter especially, but really social media in general, should be a place that you showcase your work. It's not the work. Mm. And I love mm. that because what that is just reminding us is that it, it is a place that we can connect, we can share things, we can um, kind of build relationships in some sense, and that's limited in many ways because I think real relationships are actually built in person. Uh, you can connect with people, but you don't typically go very deep. We have thousands of followers, maybe tens or even thousands of followers, uh, but we rarely know these people very deeply and very intimately. Um, and so I think that's a, a big temptation. But I love how she says that is that Twitter and other platforms are a place to showcase the work. They're not the work. And I think one of the temptations today is to look like we're busy, to look like we're doing all of these things and constantly be engaged online. And sometimes I look at folks that seem to be always online and I'm wondering, how is your church doing? What does your family look like? What does your marriage look like? I don't, I don't understand how you can be on social media that much and be doing the work of the ministry. I think all pastors and ministry leaders realize it's a full-time job, even if you take away technology. I mean, there's just so many challenges. There's so many things that are before you and questions and work to do that social media can easily become a distraction. It can be a place of um, kind of pacifying certain vices and uh, desires. And I think one of the things that we need to be doing is not only slowing down and evaluating those things, but realizing you don't have to be on every platform. You don't have to speak to every single issue. Um, I think there's wisdom in, you know, being slow to speak and being especially slow to anger and very quick to listen. Because I think there are a lot of benefits to technology, but I think for pastors especially, our first and primary calling is the local church. Um, it's not to an online platform. It's not to an online ministry per se. It's to the local body of Christ. And so some of the work that you're doing behind the scenes that you think nobody notices, guess who does notice? The Lord. Mm -hmm. He knows exactly what you're doing. And he's going to honor that faithfulness. He's going to, um, as, as Peter tells us, that pastors and ministry leaders are worth double honor. They also have a double responsibility. I think it's we need to take that seriously, especially in an age that is tempting us to kind of build platforms and build big ministries and produce a whole bunch of content is what does it look like to be faithful? What does it look like to be wise and to live within restraint and to be humble? Because um, those are the characteristics that matter, mm -hmm. um, that ultimately matter, um, especially as we seek to love love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors ourselves, particularly in the context of ministry. Now let's let's talk about your book a little bit. You you have a chapter in there uh, on the importance of truth and pursuing wisdom in in what you call and, and many have called a post truth age. Um, and of course, we we mentioned this a little bit before. Uh, a lot of the things that technology has brought, uh, the changes of technology have brought into our churches. Uh, we could talk about the misinformation. We could talk about propaganda, conspiracy theories, and all of these things that that are now prevalent in the in many of our churches. 
Uh, you've got social media, you've got blogs and, and, and other you know, different forms of media that, uh, that seem to have contributed to this, and, and they still do, you know, even, even today. What advice would you give to pastors on how to avoid being a victim of misinformation and propaganda, conspiracy, and all of these different things? And how, uh, how should they uh, work to protect their people from falling prey to these things as well? Uh, it probably doesn't shock anyone, especially those who are in ministry to know this is the question I get asked more than anything else by pastors, Mm -hmm. um, is how do I navigate this? I feel like every week I'm having someone bring to me this tweet or this thread or this article or this post and saying, you know, is this really true pastor or what are we going to do about this? What are you going to say about this? How are we going to do with it? And it always, one of the things that's tempting, especially in our digital age, especially with a lot of the post-truth issues that we deal with, is we also pair that with this rampant and deep kind of polarization and tribalization. It's always us versus them. And especially, I think, when many listeners hear the words conspiracy theories or fake news or propaganda or those type of things, it immediately kind of hairs raise up on our head like, oh, is this going to be really political? And I think that there obviously are political issues at stake here. Um, But I think the more important issue to dig deep into is to realize this isn't just happening to those people over there. Um, This actually can happen to all of us. We can be misled. We can uh, be duped by fake news. This happened to me myself, like someone who's trained and who thinks about these things deeply and has written about these things. I was on Twitter one day. I was doing the dishes with my wife or for my wife. She was helping feed our children. And I was looking on social media and the next thing you know, I see this story and I'm like, I cannot believe that they gave into this or I cannot believe that someone gave in, believes this conspiracy theory or whatever. And then I tell my wife and she's on the phone with her her family. She tells her mom and dad. And then about two or three minutes later, I realized I was the one who was duped by fake news, Mm. that the story was completely misleading. There was no context. There was nuance. There was a lot of details missing. And it was spun up as this great conspiracy when it really wasn't. And so not only did I become a conspiracy theorist and a propagator of fake news, but I had, you know, spread that to my wife who had spread it to her parents. So I had to apologize all across the board. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just something happening to those people out there. It's actually happening to all of us. Mm -hmm. And in some sense, philosophically speaking, this is the world in which we inhabit. We live in a world where it's all about my truth, my reality, my choice, my body. It's all about me, 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 me. Well, when you go to look at the uh, Christian worldview and you look at the the paradigm of wisdom, we realize this is not a, a world about me, whether it's the algorithms telling me that it's my post, my platform. It's all about these personalized ads, these personalized curated experiences online that make it feel all about me. Reality is this is God's world. We are his image bearers. This is it's where, as Cornelius Van Til once said, there are two, you know, two different types of ethics. There's a God-centered ethic and a man-centered ethic. And while I think you can kind of overplay that a little bit, I really like that paradigm is that is, is, are we seeing a God-centered aspect here or are we seeing a man-centered? And so this is something, especially with the, the pace at which we are exposed to information. I mean, even sitting and recording this podcast, I'll get a breaking news alert or I'll get an email that, you know, I'll see all these tweets and threads and I'll see all this stuff, often without a lot of detail often without a lot of context, often happening, it's happening the moment I'm seeing the breaking news as something is happening, meaning we don't actually know what's going on. Mm -hmm. 
And there's this temptation to want to immediately identify and kind of point out the problem. So whether it's something that happens across the world or even next door, we immediately feel this pressure to say, put out a comment. Well, obviously this is what's going on. And you're like, is that actually what's going on? Do we actually know any of the details yet? But there's this temptation to comment on everything immediately. So sometimes there's misinformation spread, meaning that it's unintentional. Uh, that's something I play up, and I think it's a really important distinction that we make. Sometimes we unwittingly share mis a fake information, not even knowing or not intentionally doing, but often there are bad actors who intentionally are sharing misinformation, which is actually called disinformation. Mm -hmm. They're intentionally trying to manipulate and to cause people to do certain things, to react in a particular way. So I think we need to be very careful about the information that we intake because, and most of us know this, just because it's on the internet doesn't make it true. Right. And that was something we were told really early on. I remember when Wikipedia came out, it's like our, my professors were like, do not cite Wikipedia right. <laughs> because it just assumed, well, it's on the internet. It has to be true. Mm -hmm. The same is true with social media. There's a temptation for us in the moment, in that kind of millisecond that it takes us to scroll to see a misleading image or headline or even story and to immediately react to it without actually doing our homework. Yeah. And that's actually one of the uh, ideas of wisdom. And we see this in the book of James, even to be slow to speak, mm -hmm. to be slow to anger. That's kind of the opposite yeah. of what our culture is today. We're very quick to speak and we're very quick to anger and we're incredibly slow to listen if we listen at all. And that can and even so happen think, on a smaller scale. So like I'm a space nerd. And so I'm always looking for like the cool images that NASA and some of these, uh, pages on Twitter, you know, share. And there have been times I'm like, wow, that telescope took a picture of that. Like, that's what this looks like. Mm -hmm. And you scroll through the comments and it's like, well, this is actually fake or they've actually, yeah. you know, changed this or this is a computer animation. I was like, oh man, they got yeah. me. And this is the world which we inhabit. And so I think that it's hot. we need to take wisdom. We need to be slow and methodical and wise about how we pursue things, how we kind of do fact checking ourselves or how we just say, you know what? I don't have to come on that. I have a friend who wisely said, uh, the internet doesn't deserve your opinion on everything. We feel that, we feel like we have to. And I just love that is to say, no, it really doesn't. And people don't deserve your opinion on everything. Sometimes yeah. uh, closing your mouth is actually one of the wisest things you can do. Mm -hmm. And so in the age of post-truth and the age of uh, this kind of me-centeredness that kind of runs throughout our society and culture, I think we as Christians need to slow down, ask some of those hard questions and reorient our, our lives and our, our pursuit of truth to say, no, we are the people who follow the way, right. the truth and life. Truth matters. We need to stand up for truth and all aspects of truth, because that's what ultimately is loving God and loving our neighbors ourselves. That's good. So two more short questions. So when we were when I was preparing for this episode, I went to your website and looked at a couple of different articles that you did. And one stood out to me and I thought it would be a fun question to ask. Are robot pastors a thing or is that a thing that could happen in the future? Are we going to see Jim Shaddix 2.0 or Ron Jorlock 4000 going to churches and preaching? It's funny because it sounds almost comical. Uh, to think about this, but in reality is, is across the world, there are our robot priests. Um, there are these machines, these algorithms. We're even seeing this in a lot of terms in terms of um, these algorithms that you can give a prompt and it kind of fills out the rest of it, whether it's a news article or answering these big, deep philosophical questions. And it's funny because years ago I was asked, you know, about robot pastors. So I wrote this article and it's funny how many people were like, okay, that actually is really helpful. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of thought this was silly, <laughs> but the more I did research, I was realizing 
there are some who think this might be the next kind of thing. Right. Whether it's instead of just watching a video of a pastor, what if we could have a robot pastor? What if we could have a digital kind of digitized type of thing? And again, that comes down to that question earlier that we talked about. Is our faith just simply about information transfer or is it about that embodied transformation? And I think that's the big question before us. And obviously I'm leaning towards the, the, not only is information helpful and it's something that there is an information transfer that takes place, but it's a lot more than that. It's actually about a transformation about the body of Christ coming together, the gathered embodied nature of the church. Um, And so I think that's kind of how we have to address those questions, whether it's robot pastors or issues of live streaming or kind of online virtual church or church in the metaverse. And I think to it always comes back down to the embodied nature of the church that you're not just information. You're not just pure reason that there's actually an embodied component uh, to what it simply means to be human. Yeah. That's a good word. I love you, Ron Drewer, but if you were a robot, I'm turning the other way and running. (laughs) Just, just throwing that out there. Any final words of encouragement for our listeners this week, brother? Yeah, I would say just for, especially for pastors, Um, I know that you're facing a lot of challenges today. And as you think about not only the normal challenges that you face in pastoral ministry, uh, a lot of the challenges of technology in the digital age are also pressing on you. And I know it can feel very isolating. It can feel very alone. Um, In some sense, that's what technology does is it isolates us. um, It makes it seem like it's all about us and that we have to do a whole bunch of things. Uh, But pastor, God's word is sufficient for the day. Uh, God's word is sufficient for his church. Um, You're not responsible uh, for building his church. God is building his Mm -hmm. church. And we see throughout the scriptures, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Uh, We already know the end of the story. So a lot of the challenges you face while seem overwhelming in the moment, taking that eternal perspective and realizing that we live in light of a risen savior, um, I I hope is an encouragement to you. Um, You face a lot of challenges, but God's word is completely sufficient for the day. And so knowing that, believing that truth, and just saying, you know, I don't have to have all the answers to every single question. That's one of the reasons I love what you guys are doing at Southeastern Seminary and through this podcast is equipping pastors to look, you're not alone. That is one of the biggest challenges in ministry is ministry burnout and isolation and depression and anxiety and a lot of those challenges. And the last few years didn't make anything any easier. If anything, they kind of sped up in many ways what I think was going to happen in 10 years. It just compressed it into about a year. Um, So you're not alone. Uh, Not only is God with you and God is building his church, but we need one another. And that's one of the the things about the temptations of the digital age is this idea that we'll have more relationships and more access to information. A lot of those are failed promises. We were promised deeper relationships, but we seem to be in more shallow relationships. So prioritizing the local gathered body of Christ, gathering with other like-minded pastors, pouring and loving, pouring into one another, loving one another, um, because the challenges today are big, but our God is a whole lot bigger. Mm, That's a good word, brother. Well, that'll do it for today's conversation. Jason, brother, thank you again for your willingness to join uh, the conversation and for writing this incredibly helpful resource. If you're listening to this conversation today and you don't own a copy of Following Jesus in a Digital Age, I encourage you to do that today. Change that today. Add that to your library. Jason is doing some incredible work uh, for our convention through the ERLC, so make sure you're keeping up with him and his writing. And we want to thank you, listener, for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found today's episode helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And finally, brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.